Today we're concluding uh, this year's Advent series. Today is the conclusion. Uh, we, we, are, we are finishing this year's Advent series by really finishing our tour through the tabernacle. For those of you who have been here, have you been able to learn a lot about the tabernacle? Yes, we have toured through the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. And in fact, it's here in the final chapter of Exodus, chapter 40, where we really come to the end of the story. And really, it is not just the end of the story, but it's the climax of the story. I want you to see this. Though God had miraculously delivered Israel out of Egyptian slavery, and though God had split the Red Sea, this was not the climax of the story. And though the finger of God had spectacularly inscribed on stone tablets the law of God, on the mount of God, for Israel to know and see, this was not the climax of the story. And though God had instructed Israel to build him a sanctuary with seven categories of precious materials, four zones of increasing holiness featuring seven pieces of furniture increasing in material value from bronze to gold as it came from the inside, from the outside in. And though God had called Moses to consecrate Aaron and his sons as a perpetual priesthood, as me mediators between man and God this was not the climax of the story and though the book of Exodus was named after a mass departure it was the divine arrival of Israel's heavenly king in their midst that would be the cause for awe and wonder and worship Listen, the climax of Israel's salvation story is the climax of our salvation story. If you put your faith in Jesus, the climax of Israel's salvation story in Exodus is the climax of our salvation story. God with us. The greatest gift God could ever give you and I, the greatest gift God could ever give Israel was not freedom from bondage. It was not his perfect law. All those, although those were good and precious gifts, the greatest gift that God gives to us is the gift of himself. I want you to see this. Write this down. Remember it. Put it on your heart. God saves and sanctifies so that, we, so that he may be with us. This is our future hope in Christ. God with us. So with Christmas just a few days away, I thought I'd appropriately entitle this message, The Gift of His Presence. The Gift of His Presence. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We want you. We can't go anywhere without you. Lord, we love your gifts. We love your blessings, but it's really about you. We love you. And so you have saved us. You have sanctified us. You have delivered us. You have spared our lives so that you could be with us. God, you are our gift. And we ask that you would be here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the final chapter in the book of Exodus, Exodus 40. And we are going to read 38 verses today, okay? So we're no cheap reads today, amen? Uh, uh, we are going all in. Uh, and I want you to know it's here where we finally experience 
really the culmination of Israel's salvation story. God's manifest presence coming down in the midst of the camp of Israelites. God living in Israel's neighborhood. And the gift of his presence to Israel will signify to us three things. And I want you guys to remember the gift of God's presence given to Israel will signify three things to us as we look back and read this story. And here they are. Number one, it will signify a new day. Number two, it will signify a new creation. And number three, it will signify a new deliverer with a new glory, with a greater glory. I'm going to say that again. Number one, a new day. Number two, a new creation. Number three, a new deliverer with a greater glory. Are you ready? Ready or not, here we go. Exodus 40. We are going to read 38 verses. So if you have it, follow along. You'll get lost. I guarantee you'll fall asleep while I'm reading. Unless you're engaged, it'll be up here. So here we go. The final chapter in this tabernacle story and in Exodus reads like this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps, and you shall put up the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar, a burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Y'all remember all of this. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father as they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all the Lord had commanded him. So he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. <laughs> He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony. Are you ready? As the Lord had commanded Moses, he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord. As the Lord had commanded Moses, he put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord. 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar a burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put the water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. And here's the climax. You ready? Here's the climax of the story. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, (laughs) then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. We don't want to go where God is not leading. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel through all their journeys. Wow. So much to process, so little time. But there are three takeaways that I want to focus on this morning as we get ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And as we await the return of Jesus, God's presence manifested to Israel Israel, signifies to us. Are you ready? A new day, a new creation, and a new deliverer with a greater glory. A new day, a new creation, and a new deliverer with a greater glory. Did you happen to catch the date of completion? Well, if you looked at verses 1 and 17, it tells us that it was on, are you ready? The first day of the first month. What day is that? You see, it had been one year since God restarted Israel's calendar in Exodus 12. It had been one year since death had passed over Israel's homes because of the blood of the Lamb. And it had been one year since the Israelites had been liberated from slavery and given a new life. The tabernacle was erected and the glory filled the tent. Are you ready? On Israel's New Year's Day. On the first day of the first month. Aren't you glad 
that we serve a God of fresh starts and new beginnings. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who revives dead things, renews old things, restores broken things? You know, every year around this time, people start considering New Year's resolutions. What's yours? Maybe you want to look good, smell good, feel good, sound good. Maybe it's a diet. Maybe it's some exercise. Maybe you want to read the Bible in a year. But every year, people consider New Year's resolutions. Why? Because there's something about starting over that re-energizes the mind and reinvigorates. There's something about wiping the slate clean and having a fresh start. But if you're human, it never lasts. Am I the only one? That doesn't keep to my diet? Am I the only one that doesn't keep to my Bible reading plan? You see, this is the fundamental problem of all of us, of all of humanity. We lack the power to truly transform. Sure, you can pretend. Or sure, you can make some cosmetic changes. But we're not really new. You could put perfume on, you could put clothes on, you could get a new haircut, but you're not new. Yet here, the gift of God's presence coming in Israel's midst on New Year's Day is significant. It is pointing to a new day for us that God is the God of new things. A day is coming. A day like Exodus 40, where the presence of God would fall and fill a space. Yet this time, it wouldn't be a tent filled with God's glory. It would be bodies. It would be those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that infilling, the Bible says that we would be what? Born again, a new beginning, a fresh start. This wouldn't just be a new year. This would be a new life in Christ. Where the hearts of stone would be turned into hearts of flesh. And with this new heart would come a new spirit. With a renewed mind. They'd see with new eyes, hear with new ears, talk with new mouths. They'd walk in a new strength. They'd have access to new mercies every morning. They'd have a new self, a new hope, a new purpose, a new future in Christ. And listen, if you're in this room and you are a believer, you have been filled with the Spirit of God. You are the new tent, the new tabernacle in which the spirit indwells a new day, a new start, born again. And believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit have no need for New Year's resolutions. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Is anyone in this room thankful that God is a God of new beginnings, new starts, 
Exodus 40, the presence of God on New Year's Day falling on the camp would signify to us not just a new day, but a new creation. A new creation. I want you to observe with me for a moment. Here in Exodus 40, the tabernacle is erected in seven stages. Stay with me, okay? Seven stages. In fact, we're going to just go into like Bible student mode today, okay? Let's just pretend like we are in a class studying the book of Exodus. This isn't a sermon. I'm a professor. Uh, I'm a Bible scholar. Teaching you something about the profound mysteries of the word. Are you ready? Here in Exodus 40, the tabernacle is erected in seven stages. And there are seven occurrences of the phrase, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Did you see that? Repeated. Seven times. Now, if you go one chapter back to chapter 39, we see the same phrase, as the Lord had commanded, seven more times as Israel is preparing the priestly garments for worship. Now, let's widen the lens. If you look at chapters 25 through 31, it's arranged in seven speeches with the seventh speech specifically dealing with the Sabbath. Are you smelling what I'm smelling? As the tabernacle story comes to a close, we're even told in one place that Moses finished the work and in another place that Moses blessed them. Anybody know where we're going? Pastor Bernard Bell says this. It's okay, I'll tell you. The tabernacle is a cosmos in microcosm. The entire story is full of allusions to creation. You remember where God said and what God said was done. And as a result of that, God pronounces a blessing. But there's more. For the first time since Genesis 3, cherubim appear in the tabernacle. Cherubim up until this point have only been mentioned once. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden? And the cherubim were put in front of the garden to make sure that humanity would not, what, come back in and access the tree of life. And it's not here, it's not until we get to Exodus, the building of the tabernacle woven into the tapestry of the veil, are cherubim, they're back. In the creation story, these angels were stationed on the east side of the garden and tasked by God to guard the garden and keep humanity from accessing the tree of life. Now here in Exodus, woven into the veils that guarded the Holy of Holies, which was faced on the east side of the tabernacle, cherubim reappear in an Eden-like atmosphere. Listen. The tabernacle is a cosmos in microcosm, and the holy of holies was an Eden restored. Students, are you with me? The language of Genesis 2, if you go back to Genesis 2, the language of Genesis 2 
portrays Eden as a garden sanctuary. I want you to think about that. A garden sanctuary. One pastor called it the earthly footprint of our divine God. It was a garden sanctuary where the divine God himself would come. And there, what would he do? He would meet with Adam. And Adam would walk with him in the cool of the day. And there in this garden sanctuary, do you remember what God told Adam? He had given Adam a charge to serve and to keep the garden. Adam was a priest in the sanctuary of God. The cosmos was created to be a sanctuary, a space where God would come down and be with us. And mankind was put in that space as holy priests to keep and to guard and to tend the garden sanctuary. But there's more. In Genesis 1... Before everything was created, do you remember what everything was described to look like? It says, and the earth was what? Formless. It was void. But what were we told? The Holy Spirit was hovering over the formless void. And as a result of that hovering, we see God's creative order beginning to shape the formlessness, beginning to bring light to the darkness, beginning to fill the void as God spoke and the spirit hovered and the word came we see the earth, the sanctuary of God, being shaped and fashioned and formed. And now, here in Exodus 40, the cloud returns and hovers and engulfs the tabernacle, this cosmos in microcosm signifying that God was returning creative order back to a universe that had been disrupted by sin. This too much for you? Are you with me? This new creation model would be a representation of God restoring his creative order back to a world that had fallen in chaos because of sin. I want you to see this. In Genesis, the spirit hovered over the void and God created. In Exodus, the spirit filled the tabernacle and God recreated and in Matthew, the spirit overshadowed the virgin's womb. And she conceived a son. 
and Isaiah prophesied. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. And later Isaiah would say, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his governments and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The gift of God's presence to Israel in Exodus 40 signified for us a new day, a new creation, and a new deliverer with a greater glory. There's a few things I want to point out to you, and this might be a little choppy, so I'm going to do my best. When the materials had been gathered sewn together when the cherubim had been stitched into the veil and when the furniture had been fashioned by men filled with the Holy Spirit. First time. Did you know that first time the scripture ever talks about an infilling of the spirit is when God raised up men with creative abilities. God raised up creatives, filled them with the spirit. The materials had been sewn together The cherubim had been stitched. The furniture had been fashioned precisely as the Lord had commanded. We're told in the end of chapter 39, verse 43, that Moses saw the work and he blessed it. And when he had taken this furniture and arranged it and set up the altars, remember he burnt the incense and he burnt the grain offering and offered up sacrifices Verse 26 of chapter 40 says that he burnt the offering, the grain offering, and he lifted up the incense. We're also told that he finalized the laying down of the bases and the poles were put into place. The pillars had been raised. The tabernacle was completely up. At the very end of that, in verse 33 of chapter 40, we're told that Moses finished the work. You know, in some ways, Moses is standing in as the divine creator. Right? It said Moses finished the work. And, and, and then we're also taught Moses blessed them. This goes back to creation, like I said earlier. And Moses is standing in proxy as the divine creator who pronounces a blessing over everything that was done according to God's word. In fact, Moses was maybe the first quality control guy. Inspecting and checking and sending things back. Nobody likes that guy, huh? But in this was the most important quality control because perfect obedience to God was on the line. Moses bared the responsibility as a faithful servant. Once you see that, Moses bared the responsibility as faithful servant to perfectly obey God's command. If a piece of furniture had come to him and had been slightly off, it was to be sent back. No cheating. No cutting corners. 
And you know what else? We see Moses burning offering. You see that in the story? He's burning the incense. We see three things taking place. Number one, Moses is standing in proxy of the creator by blessing what has been made. Number two, we see Moses is standing in proxy as the faithful servant by bearing the responsibility of perfect obedience. And number three, we see Moses now bearing the responsibility, standing in proxy as a priest, entering into the holy space, the first to offer the incense that only a priest could offer. But there would be a new deliverer with an even greater glory who would be willing to take on the full responsibility of of obedience, not just for the tabernacle of Israel, but for the entire world. And there would be a new deliverer with an even greater glory who would bless the world as he pronounced, it is finished. And there would be an even greater deliverer with an even greater glory who would come in and offer himself as a sacrifice. And I don't know if you caught this and we're getting ready to conclude. After all these things had been done, after all these things had been made, after Moses had inspected and the tabernacle had been raised, after the offerings, the grain and the incense had been lifted up, did you guys catch this? We're told that Moses was not able to enter. Did you guys that stick out to anybody in here? I know for me when I was reading it. It says, Moses was unable. It says, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was unable to enter. In many ways, this is kind of a head scratcher. If you think about it, I mean, this wasn't the first time Moses had seen glory. Are you with me? Moses had seen the glory of God in the burning bush. Moses had seen the glory of God in the plagues of Exodus. He had a front row seat in that court of Pharaoh. He saw the Red Sea split. Moses seen the glory of God inside the cloud atop of Mount Sinai, him and him alone. The Israelites were like, you go up there. Moses spent time in the glory He would come down, his face would be white and glowing. He had spent so much time in the glory of God. And when he asked the Lord to show him more glory, in Exodus 33, Moses was permitted to see the backside of God as God allowed his goodness to pass through. But the glory of the Lord that fell on the camp on that day was the greatest glory the world had ever seen up to this point. So that Moses was not even able to enter. Yet, even then, a greater glory was coming. You see, from Moses' tabernacle to Solomon's temple, no glory would ever compare 
to what was resting in Mary's womb. Amen? I'm going to say that again. From Moses' tabernacle to Solomon's temple. No glory would ever compare to what's resting in Mary's womb. I was thinking about, thinking about Mary's womb. It was the container of the uncontainable. 9 a.m., you, you with me? It was the container of the uncontainable. Mary's womb. Not very spacious, y'all. Mary's womb. More spacious than all of heaven. The eternal God in whom the highest heavens could not contain. Humbled himself. Put on flesh. Became a baby, was conceived by the Spirit in the virgin's womb, the container of the uncontainable. And he delivered us from slavery. Just like God delivered Israel. And he taught us how to live. Just like God gave Israel the law. And he gives to us every spiritual blessing and sends to us his spirit to fill us as the first fruits of an eternal inheritance. Beyond what you and I can think of or even imagine. You know what's amazing? We go from the tabernacle to the temple to the womb to the tomb to resurrection to the church in Acts 2 where the spirit comes down again you with me and now and now what was in the tabernacle and in the temple and in the womb and in the tomb but not too long is now on the church and in you and I what a story You know, ask any child what they want for Christmas and their list is going to go very long. I asked my son the other day and we got a long list. In fact, nowadays they're getting smart. They're like emailing you and sending you like lists and you can have your kids circle it like a month ahead of time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all knew where I was going before I ever said it. Oh, and did he circle? He circled all right. <laughs> he wants, you know, Bowser's pirate ship. Super Smash Bros. Remote control race cars. Basketball hoop. But, you know, I've learned something interesting about my son. Are you ready? What I've noticed is that, at least at this age, you might lose this at some point, but at this age, here's what I've learned. He'll drop his favorite toy or quit his favorite video game just to be with me. Usually it's our young kids, right? They become teenagers or whatever, they're out. But you remember that, you remember that, right? He'll drop 
his video game just to be with me. And, and despite the best gifts, y'all with me? Despite the best gifts, I realized that my son's favorite gift is me. Mm. And unfortunately, as a parent, I have been guilty. I have been guilty of buying him presents in order to compensate for my lack of presence. And we do that, don't we? iPads, we give them screens. And I'm not trying to rebuke you. I get it. We all need a little. But you know, when you come home from work or it's been a long day or whatnot, man, you put them on that thing and they're gone. But we've been guilty when our children want us, we give them gifts, presents to compensate for the lack of presents. But no matter how much I give P3, presents he'll always want my presence because presence can't replace presence and this is what makes God a good 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 father though he abundantly and generously gives us gifts though he lavishes us with presence God's desire for us, Scripture's theme, humanity's hope, Christmas's true meeting is God with us for all time. This is the gift the Christ of Christmas has come to bring. Not his presence, but his presence. And I wonder if you are in here today Maybe you're sitting in this room and you have been guilty of wanting presence and not presence. Maybe the problem isn't that we serve a God who doesn't give us presence, but presence, but we want his presence instead of his presence. Maybe we're a people that want the stuff. We want the stuff. We want the blessing. We want, we want it in this time, here and now, in this life. And we don't get it. Like a child, like a spoiled child. Angry and upset. But what you don't realize is that God has come to give the gift of himself. And when you get his presence, his presence are just freely available. And so as we get ready to celebrate Christmas and come back on Christmas Eve and we buy presents, <laughs> we remember Christmas is about God with us, God among us, a new day, a new creation, and a new deliverer with a greater glory that we all have access to. What a beautiful story. And it's worthy. It's worthy. He's worthy of our worship and our praise.